We're going to talk about prayer this evening. And it really does tie in with this matter of stressability. The ability to use the pressures of life in a productive way. And you can always pray. And prayer is where the peace will be found. It's, we've already talked about this, this critical aspect, the foundational factor of being mind-filled with the biblical truth, the, the realities the, of the facts of the Scriptures that fit every situation, having our minds state on Him, God's Word spoken to us. And now we're going to move into how to use those words in the Scriptures in prayer. Lord, would You take these moments that we have, these next few minutes, and empower Your Word and give us an appreciation and a passion to pray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You all already know about prayer. You've heard about this for years. But I really do hope that tonight there will be a little bit new appreciation for and an eagerness to pray like you've not before because of the pressures that are in your life, the stresses, the things that are going wrong. Would that be the very thing that would put us on our knees to, to experience God through prayer? For me, I need this because uh, I am prone to worry. I'm the worrier. I, in our family, I'm the worrier. I can, I, can always, it, I can always plan on being the one that worries. It's my biggest stress trigger, worry. In fact, I think I could have a Ph.D. in worry. You have a Ph.D., Tim, in Hebrew, right? Old in Old Testament. How many hours does that take for you to get a Ph.D. in Old Testament? A lot. A lot. And then too. Yes, exactly. All right. So you, is that, that like uh, 180 graduate hours or something like that? It's way up there. Tim, you got that. Okay. Andy, how, how about you? You have a doctorate in... You're not smart. I'm not smart. All right. <laughs> All right, you've, you've, got, you've got degree after degree, but I, I really think that I've done enough hours in worrying that I should have a Ph.D. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pro at it. I, I know how to do this. I'm good at it. For instance, this morning, after, right before breakfast, I wanted to get over here to the, to the chapel because I left my notes on the podium. I just, that's a habit I have. I just forget my notes, and I go off, and, and I didn't want them to be in the way so before breakfast, I came over here and just grabbed my notes, and while I was walking out, I noticed that some of the staff members were coming in. I think they were getting ready for a meeting or to clean up or something like that, and, and I noticed that one guy was sitting back towards the back, and he had his head over, and he was kind of holding his, his tummy, and, and it looked like he had a hangover or something. I, I don't think that's what it was. I mean, he was a staff member here, but, but he looked bad. I mean, he was, he was struggling. I don't know, maybe, I don't know who that was, but... Uh, he, he was hurting, and I kind of felt bad for him, but I just kind of walked on by and tried to avoid him, and um, <laughs> went to breakfast, came back in, the service was started, I sat down, about halfway through the service this morning, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sitting in the exact same place this guy was sick. 
I'm going to die. I mean, I went from there to there just that fast, zero to 60, just like that. I was thinking of all the things that could go wrong. So if that guy is around and he's doing better, I would love to know that. That would really help me. (laughs) I have the gift of worry. It's a gifting. Some of you have the gift of administration. I admire that. You can keep everything organized and everything goes well. Anybody here have that gift of administration? That's the way you are. You're good at that. Wow, I'm impressed with you. Some of you have that gift of mercy. Oh, I covet that gift of mercy. You're just alert to people's needs, and you're able to be there for them, and you, you are able to show the care of, of Christ to them just on, on the spur of the moment, whatever the, whatever the situation. Who here has that gift of mercy? Amen for you. It's the, it's the gift that goes unnoticed most often, but is needed more than any of the others. My daughter, she's a nurse in the ER, and she just has that gift. She just runs to the problem. I just stand there and go, they've got a problem. I mean, but she's there to help. Um, Some of you have the gift of helps. You're just there to, and you just, you have great joy in being able to serve. You just love doing that. Anybody here just since you get great joy in being able to serve, that's your gift of helps. Who would raise your hands about that? All right. Amen for that. Praise God for you. Me? I have the gift of worry. Anybody want to join me on that one? I can do that. That's kind of a discernment thing, but I can see the problem coming a mile away, and I'm just, oh no, here it comes. You know, those uh, uh uh-oh videos, I would have been the one saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't. Yep, I told you so. I'm, I'm that guy. So I have to make myself come to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 on a regular basis. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious. Remember that word? Remember the definition of that word? Stress out! Do not be stressed out about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, seeking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's this, the peace of God which rises above, it surpasses all understanding, and it will guard your hearts. It will prevent an invasion of your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you do these things, you will experience peace. I think that's the way the New Living Translation has it. If you do these things, you will experience peace. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? to be able to experience peace in the midst of a storm. Worry about nothing. That's what this verse is telling us. And that means never worry about, capitalize all the letters, anything. Never worry about anything. That's what we're called to. Now, how are you doing with that? Uh, The other day... Lori said to me on a day before our, uh, my day off, she said, so, so what are you going to do tomorrow? And without even thinking, I said, worry. And she just busted laughing because she knows that's the truth. I can find so much to worry about. Uh, it's so easy to worry about our nation or my kids or our church or my health or you, you name it. Uh, something going wrong. I, I can find it to worry about. There has to be a replacement. And that replacement is prayer. And we're called to pray. Philippians 4 says, don't worry 
rather pray about everything. And in that context, you thank God in all things, you fix your mind on things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and you find this contentment everywhere, but it all hinges on starting with prayer. You're not going to be content, you're not going to be thankful, you're not going to have a mind that's fixed on the truth if you're not in a constant state of continuous praying without ceasing. It's an ongoing conversation with God that includes His truth to whatever is happening around you. So the number one stress producer in your life is worry. It's not work, it's not your children, it's not your wife, it's not your church, it's not the country, it's not the news. The number one stress is worry. So make it a big deal to on purpose be using prayer to replace worry. In every situation, let God know your need. Think about this. If, if you prayed as much as you worried, you'd do a lot less worrying because there wouldn't be so much to worry about. Really, worry is practical atheism. What is atheism? Someone says there is no God. Now, they cannot prove that there is no God. You cannot prove there is no God. But there's a motivation behind that statement. The person who says there is no God really wants to be God themselves. And so if there is no God, then I can step in, in, in and fill that role, and I can be in control. So worry, really at its core, is an individual that's wanting to be in control and fears that it's not going to happen. And I want everything to work out the way I planned, and if it's not going to work the way I planned or the way I'd hoped, then then we just fall into this routine, this habit of worry. It's practical atheism. So I want to help you think of prayer in a, in a different fashion this evening, in a useful fashion. And it's like this. It, it's, 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 it comes back to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Prayer is taking the yoke, coming to a ready submission to the will of God for your life. Prayer is taking the yoke on purpose, taking it, putting it on on purpose with a mindset that I'm going to submit to the will of God, and I'm telling God that now as I pray. Jesus says, take my yoke. And the question I've had is, how? And I think the straightforward answer is prayer. Take my yoke. Again, I think I've re referred to this but it, it, that's a phrase that just really has confused me. Why is that thrown in there, take my yoke? Let's look at that. Let's go back and work on memorizing our verse again, just for a minute here, shall we? Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Quote it with me. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yoke. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Thank you. This word, yoke. The yoke. Get the picture here. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying in a deliberate way, lift this in place. 
intentionally lift into this place what would seem to be a burden, but it's really an opportunity. Put this yoke in place. And this word yoke in this language, in this Greek, Greek word, zugos, which, which describes this wooden picture that, that of, of a piece of wood that's shaped to fit over the shoulders of, the, of these two animals. When they work together, they're combining their strength to pull a load, and you would have thought that this would be too difficult to be handled, but the two of them together are able to pull this load together. And Jesus says, this is my yoke. Now tell me, if it's Christ's yoke, and you're in this yoke with Christ, who's stronger? Who's going to be carrying the load? It really is a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture of, of our willingness to come into an obligation in a relationship with Christ. It's a subjection to one who is greater. Essentially, it's taking on this yoke as an act of submission, willingly coming under someone that is stronger, wiser, better, and in control. How do we do that? How do we take up this yoke intentionally? The same way Jesus did. Jesus prayed in the garden before the most stressful moment in history. He prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He took up his yoke. In prayer, Jesus submitted himself to his Father's will and the eternal purposes of God's redemptive plan. So the purpose of prayer is to, to bring us to a place where we are willingly submitting to the Father's will. We want to join in with Christ to accomplish God's eternal purpose. Yoke to what the Father has called Christ the Son to accomplish. We join Him, and we do that in prayer. And really, Jesus is the best teacher regarding prayer by far. So that's where we're going to learn a little bit more of how to take up this yoke. We're going to focus in on prayer this evening. Luke chapter 11. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place. He's praying. In verse 2 through 4, there's instruction about prayer. In verses 5 through 8, You'll see there that Jesus is showing us the eagerness he has in hearing prayer. In verses 9 through 10, there's an assurance of the Lord's certainty to answer prayer. And verses 11 through 13, there's an expression that Jesus gives that it's the best to those who pray. He will give the best to those who pray. Now, we're going to just look at three factors, three helps for us to be able to learn to take on this yoke as we learn from Jesus about how he prayed and what he showed us. First, learn to take on Christ's yoke of submission to the Father's will by making prayer your top priority. Prioritize prayer. Prioritize it. He came to a certain place. We don't know anything about this certain place, but it was, it was, it was, he was there on purpose. Where is your certain place of prayer? Where is that place, your go-to place, where you know that this is taking precedence over all the other distractions in your life? Where is your certain place? 
We read in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Desolate equals solitude. Solitude. Where you're all alone, you're, you're removed from the distractions. I'm an introvert by nature, and I, I get recharged by being alone and thinking and praying. Anybody else like that? That's just the way I, I, I am able to be able to face all the challenges by being alone. Some people are recharged by being around other people. That, my dad was that way. He had to be around people in order to be able to feel energized. For me, I'm just the opposite. I have to be alone. And I have a theory. It's just an idea. But I have a theory that Jesus was an introvert. So there you go. I have a Bible reason. All right. Um, solitude. All of us need to learn to take on Christ's yoke of coming before His presence on purpose in solitude. I was looking for how to find solitude, and I do the Google thing. I mean, that's just kind of the thing to do now to find things, and came up with this from Success Magazine. I mean, you want to have success? Here you go. Read this magazine. And uh, they had an article entitled Six Ways to Find Solitude. So I thought, okay, I'll look that up. And let me just run through this list. Get up early. That makes good sense. Run. <laughs> okay, that's good as well. Number three, daydream. I didn't quite get that one. Why would you daydream? But that was on their list. Number four, drive alone. I get that one. I can get so much good thinking done and problem solving just by driving alone wherever I go. Um, number five, make a reservation for one. I don't like that one. I like to eat with other people. I definitely want my wife along, so I, I'm going to discard number five. But number six would go camping. Here we are, all right? And uh, this is a good idea. But you know what? They missed, the, they missed the main thing about solitude. It's not about doing all these other things in order to be able to, to feel good about yourself. Really, the whole point of solitude is to get alone with God, to be in a place where, where you know He can speak to you without any other distractions, and you can speak to Him. Now, that's easier said than done, especially if your mom with five kids, six kids, seven kids, and they're bouncing all over the place. They just don't have time. There's no way to be alone. You know, one of the benefits that I found in this COVID-19 thing, whatever we want to call it, the virus thing, where once we've started having church again, we haven't had nurseries available. And so people, if they have small children, they bring the children into the service. And you know what? After the first week, the kids make a noise and you know, whatever, and that's fine. I've never bothered by it. I just talk louder and just get past it. But, but there's, a, there's a child that's crying and whatever. And um, the second week, they're a little bit more, and they get their, they get their toys around. They get their food, and, and they're, they're doing better. There was one family that, that's been coming regularly since we opened up again, shall we say, and they have a little boy that they were just fearful that he was going to be bouncing off the walls. And you know what? He's doing great after about three weeks of being in church. You see, children can be learning a pattern of what's appropriate at what time. And I really believe it's important for our children to learn that there's a time when mom is alone with God, and that's the time not to bother her. We used to have this thing when, when our kids were smaller that we would have mommy and daddy couch time, that we would sit on the couch and spend time together, and that was mommy and daddy time, and the kids had to stay outside in the other room, and they'd be peeking around the corner just to see if we were still there, and 
And then they go play a little bit, and then they'd come back and see, and then, you know, what's mommy and daddy doing? And, and remember, this is mommy. And we'd plan it for like five minutes or ten minutes just with, because they were smaller. And, and, but, but we were trying to teach them this is a priority relationship. And you can do the same thing with your prayer time. You've got to make time for solitude with Jesus. In Luke 22, verse 39, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Nancy Lee DeMoss Walgamuth um, gave us a window into her life in a, in a book that she, she wrote a number of years ago, A Place of Quiet Rest. That's a book I would highly recommend. Well, let me just read a, a passage here from that book that, that reveals something that I think that was formative for her life and for her ministry as well. She says this, Early in my Christian life, I learned about one of the most essential ingredients in nurturing the relationship with God. As I became aware that my father began each day with a practice that he called devotions. A businessman with many demands on his time, I mean literally a multi-million dollar business, and an active ministry of many kinds, an active in ministry of many kinds, my father was not one to spend time frivolously. Yet somehow, in the midst of an extremely active and busy household and with incessant demands of travel and meetings, there was one constant in his life. He never got started into the business of the day without first having spent an hour or more alone with the Lord. I don't recall ever actually being with him during those times, though I did frequently see him reading his Bible. Then she says this, but somehow we all knew that this time in the Word and prayer was more important to him than any other activity of his day. And that has to be the way it is for us. We have to prioritize prayer. It's at the top of the list. It's the first thing. So learn to pray this way. Learn to think this way. Prayer is the most important appointment of my day. And put it on the calendar. In Luke 6, 12, in those days, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, getting alone. And he was there all night. He continued in prayer to God. Why? He had a huge decision before him, and he was praying for those that he really cared about, these 12 that were going to be called as his disciples. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now Jesus was praying in that certain place. That was his place of priority for prayer. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. How did Jesus answer that request? Essentially, he said to them, let me show you a plan for prayer. Learn to take on Christ's yoke of submission to the Father's will by making a plan for your prayer life. So prioritize it, make it the top thing in your day, and plan for that. And so if you have that concentrated time in prayer, then you're going to be able to carry that out throughout the rest of your day as well. But start with that, and then plan for prayer. The second element of learning to pray, learn to pray smart or smartly. 
When you pray, it's assumed that you will be smart in how you do it. Look at verses 2 through 4. Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's not the only prayer, but it really is a good pattern for prayer or a plan for prayer. Early manuscripts of this passage have a, have a slightly abbreviated text from what you would read in Matthew 6, the typical Lord's Prayer passage. Both are accurate referencing two different occasions of Christ's teaching on prayer and don't need to be reconciled. But just as an insight here, apparently there was that being done by a scribe somewhere along the line. So we have this accurate version here in Luke chapter 11 in this ESV translation. Some context is helpful as well. A little context. Here's a disciple of Jesus who isn't sure he knows how to pray because what he's been taught all his life is so different than what Jesus is doing. It's different than the prayers that he hears from the scribes and the rabbis, all the religious people, the Pharisees. God was distant in those prayers and kind of unapproachable. And it seemed that those prayers were, were, were meant to be self-advancing and be heard by others. And so when he hears Jesus pray, it, it is so real. And he's sensing there's, there's something different here that's significant. And so the ways he's been taught to pray isn't what he hears Jesus doing. So he says, Lord... Teach us to pray like that. I think this passage illustrates a, a great approach to prayer. Let me just bring it down to a simple thing that we can always remember. I, I need simple, right? If I, if I have something simple, I can tag onto it and I can remember it. So these tags here, uh, you know this. A, E, I, O, U. You got your vowels. A, E, I, O, U. A, approach God on a personal level. He's personal, our Father. My dad, for years, I can remember, just about every prayer I would hear him pray, he would say, our Father in heaven, thank you that we can call you Father. Now, that was, that was a routine that he had, but it was from his heart, because his dad became a an alcoholic out of control. When my dad was five years old, his mama died, his dad's life went swirling, and he ended up as a drunkard. He never really faced his responsibilities. So to be able to call on God as his father meant the world to him. Think of that. You can approach the almighty God of the entire universe and call him my father. I don't know if you had a good experience or a bad experience with your father. By God's grace, I had a great experience with my father. But your heavenly father is so good to you. Approach God on a personal level. E, express awe, respect. Hallowed be your name. Be captivated by this. 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Express awe. Enthrone heaven. Remember, it's not your kingdom. It's his kingdom come. His will be done. Get in line with what he wants to have done. Make sure he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then order provision. Give us each day our daily bread. And then I like to call it this way. Unload your weaknesses. Forgive us our trespasses and help us to forgive others. And, oh, God, help me to resist the temptation. I know it's coming. I can see it coming. Oh, God, give me your grace. Most of us spend all of our time on ordering provision and unloading our weaknesses, don't we? But doesn't it add so much perspective if we start off with approaching God on a personal level, expressing awe, and recognizing we have a job to do in His kingdom? A-E-I-O-U. That's just a simple, I think this, this approach that Jesus gave His disciples was not the only way to pray, but it was, it was a plan that they could follow, and then it could expand on it. There are other framework ideas, like pray. Uh, praise, repent, ask, yield. I like that one. Pray, praise, repent, ask, and yield. Or another one, acts. You've seen that one. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. In fact, I hope this week that you will make a plan to pray as you walk around our camp. Take the prayer walk and walk through it with this booklet that is there by the office. And make sure you take it home with you. Make sure everyone in your family has a copy of this because there's some great scripture that works through this Acts approach to prayer, adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. A great little tool. Put this into your prayer journal. Uh, In fact, I I hope that you will develop a prayer journal and specifically having ways to pray for everyone in your church, everyone in your family, praying for those that are in authority over us. When was the last time you really stopped to pray for the president and the vice president and your senators and and for for the state officials and, and your local? We don't do that because we don't have a plan. If we're not planning to pray, we probably won't. So have a simple plan that's there to be able to use on a consistent, faithful basis. I think it's very helpful as well to line up prayer partners. That's a big part of my life in ministry. It goes all the way back to, to the early days, and I won't get off on that right now. But uh, pr- sometimes the prayer partner, we, we do it on a Skype call. There's one guy that I do that every week. We Skype. Another guy's a phone call. Another guy shows up after work about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a regular basis. But praying week after week after week after week with the same person becomes part of the routine of prayer. And it just makes me pray because somebody's going to pray with me. You can do the same thing with your family. I have certain times that this is what happens, so this is the time we're going to pray. Uh, for our family, years ago when we were into the violin and viola lessons and cello, we had an hour and a half lesson just to get to our our um, teachers at, at Northern Illinois University, we have to drive every, morning, every Monday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning we'd head out. And the first half hour, 45 minutes, was 
this Acts thing that we're doing. We were talking about adoring God and thanking God, and, and it, was, it, was, it became the, the, what would happen is we'd get in the car, we'd start down the road, and one of the kids would say, aren't we going to pray? I mean, it became a real source of connection for our family. They still talk about that. Just establish a routine, follow a simple pattern, and make sure you cover the bases. And pray with your wife, guys. She needs that. That's her security. This is convicting, but we need to spend more time together as couples in prayer. And third, as we wrap up, learn to take on Christ's yoke of submission to the Father's will by continuing in prayer. We see this in Luke chapter 11. Persist in prayer. This third element, as we learn to pray, stick with it. Jesus was incredibly effective and using great illustrations. We've had a, a, a bunch of those in the morning sessions. I just so much a, a, appreciate the word pictures that Andy brings into this, and we're, we're having fun with being able to enjoy that. Jesus did that all the time. He was, he was telling stories all the time, parables, and, and, and drawing analogies with things that they had right in front of them in their culture. Unforgettable, something that everyone would get. So that's what we have happening in these verses 5 through 13. And as we start reading for this, through this, I'd like you to be asking yourself this question. Is this, a, is this a contrast or is this a comparison? Is this what we're going to read, a contrast, or is this a comparison? Let's read. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children, they're with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything, him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs." persistence. Now, is this a comparison with God, or is this a contrast? Uh, certainly, there's a contrast here. God isn't like this man who has an irritating friend, and, and God doesn't get bothered by our continued asking. Yet, we are challenged to understand the importance of persistence in prayer. Just keep on coming back at it. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, Jesus says, ask, literally keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, literally keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, literally keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? And that's really what we need in answers to prayer. We need the Holy Spirit moving in our lives to understand the will of God. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask, seek, 
and knock. It will be given, it will be found, it will be opened. Now here's my question. Do you believe that? I don't want you to answer it right now, but I really do want you to find the answer. Do you really believe it when, when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, and you will receive, find, and it will be opened? The problem is we don't persist. So answer that question one, from, one year from now. You have a wayward child. There are problems at work. You're really troubled about an ongoing strife. There just does not seem to be any answer to this problem. Pray about it for a year. I've often said that. Let's pray about this for a year. Recently, in working with another individual, a man, we've been meeting on a regular basis, and after a year, it was like, boom, God is answering this. Not quite the way we thought, but look what God is doing. We saw the hand of God in that situation. Ask and ask and ask and ask. Seek and seek and seek and seek. Find that God really does answer when you knock. Keep on knocking. Get a prayer partner. Set a set time and place for your prayer. And remember, A-E-I-O-U. Worry? Nah. Pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. By far, the best way to face stress in your life is on your knees with your Bible open and just talking to Jesus. It's an essential habit of a stress-free life. Jonathan and Allison, if you could come up and we'll, we'll prepare to, to sing this together with them. But while they're getting set up and ready for that, can I ask you to draw out your, your packet of information to, to work on together? We, we had uh, the activity of working through rest earlier today. But then but on the next page, there's, there's a sheet that just talks about 10 minutes with God. This is part of our prayer journal at our church that what we put out there just to, to t- kind of trigger the idea of regular patterns of prayer and it's just the challenge is just to start with 10 minutes. So this evening, try to do this in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, maybe tomorrow, come back and do it again as well. But you're going to start with adoration. Then you'll go to agreeing. Ad- adore the Lord for about three minutes. And you have some scripture there to look at. And agree with God for about three minutes, looking at what you know God says is true, that you're going to take God's side on the issue. Search me, O God, know my heart. And then three minutes of asking. There are going to be some things that you want to put before the throne of God to ask about. And then wrap up with this acknowledgement, one minute of acknowledgement. If you can do this in 10 minutes, good stuff. But what I really want to draw your attention to is with each one of these sections, there's a list of songs. 
And I would love for you to begin discovering how music and hymns and singing really is a big part of your prayer life. Have you ever noticed how much of your hymnal are actually prayers that we present to God before His throne? And so start singing while you're praying. And you'll discover that an hour is not nearly enough. Because you, and you don't have to have a great voice. Just Google the song, play it, sing along with it, and worship the Lord as you adore Him, as you're agreeing with Him, as you're asking, and you're acknowledging His Lordship. We just have some listed here. You're going to have a bunch of others that you want to put in here for songs that you can use. And you'll add scriptures to it as well. But just take 10 minutes to adore the Lord, agree with God, ask Him for what you need, in faith believing, and acknowledge He is Lord. Let's sing with Jonathan and Allison this song. You may not get all the words, but you should be able to get the chorus. And let's sing this from our heart. You've given us such a privilege to draw near to you in prayer. The pressures of life that overwhelm us, they're overwhelming. We think we're going to be buried. We just can't take it anymore. The God you are exceeding able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. So, Lord, we're going to ask, would you show yourself powerful, wise, good, faithful, near, true? May we understand blessing as it means to have the favor of God, the good hand of God upon us. We're not alone, and you already know. Thank you for your precious promises. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us tonight. And may we go from here hungry to pray, to draw near to you in fellowship, to love you. Lord, I really do pray that this 10 minutes with God exercise would be a highlight of the week for each one of us individually and give us a love for you as we pray in Jesus' name.